Hi guys, welcome back to another episode of Your Cast. Um, obviously haven't done one in a while, had a bit of a summer break. Um, since the last episode, there's been a bit of change around. We had, um, the Politics Society had its EGM and our old host Charlie has moved to Paris to do his year abroad and we have a new host on with us. Everyone say hi to Adam. Obviously, 
what we've been what we're seeing with Trump at the minute. Um, yes, absolutely. Um, obviously, the last president in terms of history um, to only get uh, one term was George Bush Senior, and that was again mostly down to his tax raise or raising taxes. Um, but interesting thing about 1968 as well, which is something we won't see in 2020, is that it was the last time that an independent candidate outside of the Democratic or Republican oh, Party yeah. was actually capable of winning states. Um, that being George Wallace in the South, which, bearing in mind, was Democratic territory until the 1960s because of the shift. And you saw the shift um, because of uh, civil rights and because of the shifting of the parties in terms of those positions but um seeing an independent candidate win states is something that is highly unlikely to happen uh this year uh but it's something to bear in mind for the context of this 1968 election he was um, a pro-segregation candidate wasn't he that's kind of his, that was his platform yes um so the south was obviously a um very pro-segregation and didn't feel that, well, the Republican Party had to adapt after the election. I mean, Nixon was starting to take the Republican Party down that path, but really had to adapt after 1968 because of Wallace being the the nature of his campaign and the, the way that he ran it and the way that he did actually win the state. So, obviously, um, civil rights is once again a very big issue within the United States in 2020 huge protests over the Black Lives Matter movement, yeah. um, particularly in the aftermath of George Floyd. Um, again, I can't say it's, just a very, it's a different comparison, but there were also riots over uh, the death of Martin Luther King, um, yeah. which had also happened in 1968. It wasn't, obviously, King was a very big figure within the civil rights movement, so to make a comparison between them is, is difficult, but it's important to bear in mind that civil rights once again, is becoming an issue. Um, yeah. And, and I think... It's going to be a massive issue in a lot of states. Yeah, especially since, obviously, like you said, you know, Martin Luther King was a huge kind of civil rights figure, which you can't really make a comparison between him and George Floyd in that aspect. But in terms of having kind of a face for the Black Lives Matter movement in 2020, I think George Floyd, because in pa- in the past obviously black lives matter has been a massive movement in america over like recent years but i think the reason that it one of the reasons that it kind of loses momentum after a while is because there was there isn't like a face attached to it as much like not so much a big kind of public figure like you had martin luther king who was an amazing orator and like could like you know capture crowds and things so i think it was really one thing that kind of defined black lives matter this year was ha- like ju- George Floyd and having kind of a face to the movement. Absolutely. Um, I think uh, similarly, uh, we are going to see a lot of states being a lot, especially um, black voters are going to have Black Lives Matter as a big part of their uh, agenda for voting. Yeah. It will be made to see which way they they vote. Um, Particularly with, you do have two very different candidates when it comes to race at the minute in Joe Biden and Donald Trump. And I think the way that President Trump has handled questions of race at the debates. Trump is very much a very incendiary candidate. Yeah. Um, uh, I suppose a lot of people compare him to Nixon, but 
Nixon was never quite as brash in his approach. Yeah. Um, which obviously is going to influence a lot of how Trump is perceived by a lot of voters. Um, yeah, that's but... true. There is kind of Trump knows as well that he does appeal to a silent group of people who aren't really public about certain very conservative views that they hold. Very conservative people who still kind of have the views that maybe were kind of more prevalent in 1968. You know, by telling the Proud Boys to stand down and stand by. He's very clever in what he's saying. He knows what he's saying and who he's speaking to. And I think he expects certain groups of people to kind of pick up on his subliminal messaging as well, which is why he won't overtly come out and say things. I suppose the, the other thing in terms of something moving on from that, um, the, yeah. the other comparison or perhaps difference is um, the protests over the Vietnam War. Now, yeah. a very different type of protest to the kind of protest we've been seeing for COVID-19. Um, in that it, is focused, it was focused very much in a specific age group, that being the younger generation from yeah, 18 to Sort of 29, the ones who were being called up for the draft because essentially they were being chipped off, chipped off to a wall uh, halfway across the world, which didn't really affect them um, or affect America directly. And not yeah. only that, they were seeing a lot of their fellow um, young people die. And once again, it did come down to a lot of racial issues because there was a disproportionate number of black Americans being sent out to Vietnam. But it's interesting that that was a particular um, focus against the Democratic Party. Um, the protests occurred outside the Democratic National Convention, where Humphrey um, was confirmed as the candidate. Uh, that whole convention was marred by a huge controversy and huge protests over um, Vietnam. Um, it's interesting that obviously COVID hasn't allowed for that kind of protest, but it has allowed for protests amongst voters perhaps on the other side to those Vietnam War protesters and whether yeah. that may have an impact at all. Covid has definitely become I think a really kind of partisan issue it's gone kind of beyond the realm of just a public health issue and like you see it's become more of a freedom issue and people instead of associating it with health it's kind of become a human rights issue I say in air quotation marks because you've got a lot of people who tend to be more on the republican side who are, who are protesting against lockdowns mask wearing stuff that I think like you said it's just funny that even now because in 1968 you had those protests and those are kind of mirrored in 2020 over something that's like completely different but it's just it's like something that you a public health crisis in a time of an election has kind of been used to be a partisan issue because it's like if you are I think abiding by COVID laws associated with being more of a democrat thing and then kind of fighting against state control is seen to be more of a republican thing. Absolutely Um, and again it's interesting that that those protests do sort of transcend age groups a lot. Yeah. Um, there's not just one age group that you really think is the anti-COVID, anti-mask group. It does tend to be a lot of different yeah. age groups. Whereas in Vietnam, it was very much focused in the younger generation because they were really the only group 
has been significantly affected by being injured and killed in a war that they didn't believe in. The 2000 election has set a precedent that perhaps will become very significant um, come the aftermath of this election. Which is the landmark court case Bush v. Gore. Uh, now, what is interesting about this case is that it was focused in one particular state, uh, that being Florida, and there's a reason why Florida is such a key swing state, and this example only <laughs> exemplifies that. Um, six million votes were cast in Florida, and Bush's lead was only 327 votes, which might sound like a lot of people and is a lot of people but in the context of six million yeah. that's a very very small lead and almost a, a, a fractional error so you know the, this was taken up to the supreme court which bear in mind it was made up of some judges who had been selected by bush jr's father bush senior in his presidency um whether that had any impact on the decision will depend on your point of view but it is important to bear in mind and again we'll bring come back to that when we talk about 2020 um and the ultimate decision there and um, because the florida state was constantly recounting votes to try and get a secure um try and work out who had actually won the court decided that the counting should stop and that the election the state should be given to Bush and therefore the election should be given to Bush. Now, this is one of the closest US elections in recent memory. Um, it, yeah, they, they were almost tied in terms of number of, of votes, but again, it went to Bush. Now, so that could be seen again in 2020. Yeah, and I think kind of following on from 2000, because like you said, it kind of it set a precedent, like a massive precedent for how issues like this are handled. I think Trump is more aware of this than maybe Bush and Gore would have been in 2000 because it was kind of unheard of for an election to be so close. But I think Trump is already more prepared for if it's a close election or even if he, lo- if, if he loses, he's kind of already thinking ahead to his transition and how he can kind of secure power if it's not done through the electoral college and the voting system um yeah on that um a lot of what trump's rhetoric has been about has been about postal voting and also some early voting and now the problem with a lot of postal voting is that the postal votes may arrive after election day so it may take several days or even weeks to actually count and verify all of the votes that come in now trump doesn't want this um, because it is assumed that the postal votes will generally favour Biden. And so he may take it to the Supreme Court to have, and actually already has taken it to the Supreme Court in certain for certain states where they cannot count votes that arrive in after Election Day and may also subsequently go to the Supreme Court to have votes stopped after a certain date or votes stopped counting after a certain day, which again brings up Bush v. Gore. Yeah, over the course of this election, there's been a lot of controversy over kind of postal votes and the postal voting system in general, actually. I think even 
a couple of months ago you had Trump trying to stop the Un- the United States Postal Service in certain states and it was it came out that it was states where the vo- the postal votes kind of swung democrat or even in more kind of vulnerable minority areas he was trying to inhibit their ability to cast their postal vote mm-hmm. i think he's already said he he's already spoken out against the supreme court ruling where you can still count a vote even if it arrives after election day as long as it was cast on election day i think it is yeah there are certain states in america like pennsylvania where you're not allowed to actually start counting postal votes until election day so i think he's probably aware of this as well (laughs) well yeah and they also all have to be verified so it's not yeah counting other votes it's about is this a a verified number you have to also have to bear in mind that trump has been able to appoint three supreme court justices during his term which is a very high number for a (laughs) one-term president he's been Uh, very lucky he has been lucky in that respect um of it um it will remain to be seen whether these judges do benefit him in this election because like (laughs) i said before um a fair at least one of the justices in bush v gore was nominated by bush's father so whether we'll see trump's supreme court justices staying loyal to him or perhaps going against him will be an interesting one to to see as uh, as we get the results in and as court cases perhaps start to occur um but the precedent is that generally the supreme court will take a more i, I don't want to say conservative view of um vote counting but will generally the precedent based on this landmark case is that they will stop continuous recounts of votes and may do the same for if there are too many postal votes to count. It does kind of link back to COVID as well in a way I guess because there's been a record number of postal votes this year. As of Sunday afternoon there were nearly 60 million mail ballots that are already being casted and in 2016 there were only 33 million postal votes in the entire election so it's going to be a much more lengthy process with postal votes this time and maybe something that people haven't really considered before when you think about voting you just think about going to the polling station and like putting the x in the box and that's that i think postal votes this year could have much more of an influence than we think especially because like you said earlier there is kind of an association between postal voting and voting democrat well it, it, it again comes down to what you were saying earlier about the um belief in the severity of covid now people who generally take COVID seriously don't really want to be queuing up for hours at a polling station and then going into a crowded polling station and touching the booths that had been touched by however many people before um so yeah they generally may well avoid those stations and instead vote in a way that's COVID secure. Um, um, you know, again, there's also people who are vulnerable, who don't want to be doing the same thing. Yeah. don't want to be putting themselves at risk of COVID, but still want to engage in the democratic process. And obviously, generally, considering the rhetoric of um, both Trump and Biden, they may well go Biden, because his rhetoric has been more serious towards COVID. So those who are 
taking COVID very seriously and not wanting to go to a polling station, I might to vote for the president who hasn't been taking COVID as seriously as perhaps they'd hope, hoped he would, not to get too political on that um, point. But I don't think it's uh, too political to say that Biden's probably being more careful with COVID than Trump is. Oh, well, no, definitely. I think Biden is definitely taking a more covid cautious position whereas well we were what we watched a one of trump's rallies the other day which the fact that there's even an in-person rally happening where you've got thousands of people sitting next to each other highlights your stance on covid you've got like thousands of people standing shoulder to shoulder like next to a president who's saying oh you know america has its peaks like europe has its peaks and it's like you see, you see kind of the devastation that's happening because of COVID literally across Europe now, like with the second wave. So I think for him to kind of stand there and say, oh, you know, it'll be fine. I don't think it really resonates with a lot of Americans who are looking out and seeing what's happening in the wider world. Because I think it's the same as, you know, with us. I think European countries, where all, everyone's, the world is watching each other. And, you know, we're watching America. We're seeing how America's handling it. And I think... Yeah, like you said, a lot of people who are taking COVID more seriously aren't necessarily going to rush out to stand for hours to cast their ballot. No, and um, again, it may also come down to certain fears of voter suppression. Now, um, yeah. unfortunately, what you've seen in certain states is the very limited numbers of polling stations and very limited numbers of avenues by which people can vote. Now, again, people can postal vote then they know that their vote is theoretically going to get in and it's going to be counted so they may all take that as an option again not to labour on the political point but it does tend to be in areas of high minority ethnic groups where these um, suppression tactics take place now it's just yeah, no. a, that's a statistical thing that's not that's just a sad fact point. yeah um, so again more probably more likely to vote for Biden than Trump, who has issued rather, as you said before, issued rather incendiary rhetoric towards those who are anti-BLM or anti-the um, movement. I think certain political beliefs that you think are unrelated, so for example, like like Black Lives Matter and like COVID, you think they're unrelated, but then there's kind of a certain theme that runs through all of them. So if you think a certain way about one thing you're probably going to think a certain way about another thing even if they two seem completely unrelated absolutely and it's um very telling that obviously these two issues have been the main issues within the debates and within um, the campaign rallies that both trump and biden have run um, yeah. i don't think you can go to you can't listen to a single rally that trump or biden have done or any kind of campaign event that they've done without hearing about either covid or black lives matter and there's a reason for that, because it, they are so significant to the political discourse that's taking place in America at the moment. And the, ultimately, it's what is going to really incentivize voters to go out and vote, whether for Trump or for Biden. Yeah, even people who have never voted before or kind of feel disenchanted by the voting system in general, particularly in 2016, because I think... 2016 was probably a bit of a lackluster election when you've got Hillary Clinton versus Trump. You kind of view Clinton as more of just kind of a centrist Democrat, not so much 
she was she was never planning on bringing about radical change something like this that ha has happened obviously a pandemic it's kind of made everyone's everyday lives political is like it might not have affected people before but now you know even when it comes to like lockdowns and restrictions you're seeing government in your everyday life like so now you're kind of more switched on and thinking oh well if that if this is going to be impacting me so much who do i want in control and who do i think is going to have the best handle on this and everyone has a different opinion like depending on how they want the country to be run because everyone has completely conflicting views on how a country should be operating in covid era absolutely and um i think that's a perfect segue to go on to talk about the final election yes. uh, that we want to talk about tonight which is um the 2008 election Uh, as you've said before, there's been record numbers of people uh, going out to vote by post. And um, in terms of percentage, 2008 is the highest turnout um, with 57.9% turnout, which is pretty high. For yeah. US, actually. I mean, it generally goes into the low 50% sort of around that area. So again, high. And again, draws into something that, that you were talking about earlier about people being incentivized to vote, except perhaps it's a little bit different this time because you're not necessarily being incentivized to vote for someone, but rather against someone. Um, That's uh, definitely very true. I think I read in The Guardian earlier that um, McDonald, who oversees the US Elections Project, he's predicted a 65% turnout, which <laughs> is huge. Especially when you consider usually elections are in the low 50s and 57.9 turnout was like a record high. Um, Texas and Hawaii have already, just from postal votes alone and early voting, they've seen more votes cast than they did on through their entire election in 2016. There's definitely a lot more momentum at the minute. And it maybe even if following on from Hillary Clinton, I don't really think... Uh, many people see Joe Biden as like a radical bringer about of democratic change. It completely goes into what you said about voting against someone more than kind of voting for someone. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, don't get me wrong, Joe Biden is a pretty popular politician in America at this point. Um, he's yeah. relatively well liked, and he's more like Clinton is, although. Yeah. He's not really saying much um, <laughs> but the uh point being that um 2008 perhaps saw the higher turnout because of obama's campaign and because he was someone who did represent a big change so as, as we said again you know high turnout usually comes because of the people wanting to vote for someone um and now because america is so bitterly divided and you have such a divisive incendiary candidate in the White House as an incumbent, there is a lot more of an incentive to vote against and as you've said, we may end up seeing an exceptionally high turnout from both sides because they are both, because one side is so adamantly for Trump that they are motivated to vote against Biden and perhaps maybe for him on the other side, people who are so adamantly against Trump who maybe aren't as motivated so much to vote Biden, but as much to get Trump out of office, which is an interesting dynamic, which, um, you know, isn't 
quite interesting to see considering perhaps um, if we look at polls for 2020 the candidate that is unpopular is more likely to have people who want to vote for him rather than vote against the other candidate which is different on the other side yeah that's one thing that's always so interesting about trump is that even if he is the more unpopular candidate he's got such fierce support from you know the kind of support that he's got is very strong you've got it all like fits into the partisan politics thing as well because i think he has really struck a chord with some hardcore republicans and i think they really want to vote him in to keep him in office not not even so much to keep biden out but just because they want him in whereas on the flip side you've got people desperate to just keep trump out not so much who are like you because we were watching the rally and you've got people chanting like four more years four more years and i don't think you've got that so much with biden no um i mean there's a lot of talk of biden being a sort of placeholder president yeah he's going to run for for four years step down after four years be a one-term president and that's someone like harris who perhaps could represent someone that people want to vote for but again it's interesting that the more popular candidate arguably has less people who are voting for him rather than against Trump. Um, whereas for Trump, arguably you have more people voting for him than against Biden. Although obviously voting against Biden is a big part of it and a yeah. big part of his rhetoric, especially in a lot of the debates and campaigns. Um, his focus on Biden being sort of the ploy of the radical left, um, again, is deeply stoking divisions but somehow I doubt that a lot of the people who voted Trump wouldn't have voted for him if he hadn't used that rhetoric. That's yeah that's true. I I don't think it's it's too outrageous to say that Biden isn't a very kind of radical character at all. He is not representative of this radical left that Trump has been perpetrating. I think you know, his policies are kind of just standard democratic policies. Even, you know, when it comes to stuff like healthcare, he's not proposing, you know, universal healthcare. He's not like trying to make the healthcare system free. He's just trying to make it more affordable. It's nothing that would blow anyone out of the water. No. Like radical wise. So I think, like you said, he's been, despite this, he's been very good at kind of making him this figure of like the radical left. And if you vote for Joe Biden, He's going to shut the country down because that's what the radical left want to do with COVID. They want to send the country into economic collapse and decline. And I think it will be exceptionally interesting to watch the results on, well, tomorrow uh, for us, tomorrow night. Yeah. Maybe probably tonight um, when this gets out. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But maybe by the time this is up, voting probably will be done. Yeah. You may well know the result before we do, which... But I think it has been interesting to talk about elections that perhaps set precedent for certain yeah. aspects of what we might see for us tomorrow night for you. Maybe you've already seen it, but um, or you may be looking forward to seeing it tonight. It depends uh, again. But I think no matter what happens tomorrow, no matter which way the vote goes, the same as kind of happens with all US elections. And maybe this is part of because the fact that when you get elected, you don't, you know, you get inaugurated in January, so there's still kind of a 
space of time in between like November and January. I don't know if that kind of helps keep it like current, but I think you still kind of hear more about the elections more than in the UK where it's like you have the election and then you're pretty much the prime minister, what, the day after you move into number 10? So I think Absolutely. no matter what happens tomorrow, this is de- <laughs> it's definitely not going to yeah. be, oh, Trump won or, oh, Biden won. <laughs> That's no, it. Like, it let's go to bed. <laughs> That'll yeah. actually be really interesting to see if it gets to a point tomorrow where he has enough. And he's because he's already said that as soon as the election's over, he's going to get lawyers involved and he's going to literally try and stop the counting of votes. So Absolutely. whether that'll happen, I think. But yeah, I, I think when you think about the elections that are perhaps not as interesting, you think about it's when the incumbent is trying again. Yeah. Kind of, but this time it's so much different. And I think that speaks very much to Trump yeah. as a candidate. And how his kind of four years have been. Mm-hmm. I think as well, a lot of people maybe who either didn't vote in 2016 or who didn't really care as much in the run-up when it was Clinton versus Trump, have now kind of spent the past four years waiting for this moment where they can vote him out. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I mean, you only took on the inauguration day when people started to do countdown clocks, and that countdown oh, clock yeah. is now down to one night, essentially. You know, this is this is a culmination for a lot of people of something that they've been, like you said, been waiting for for so long. And... It will be an explosive night. Or it's been a really boring night, which is completely wrong about it all. But Oh, I hope not. I'll make this whole thing a bit pointless. Yeah. <laughs> I want to record a podcast and I just find out. Oh, yeah, it's kind of boring. <laughs> got a bit bored when Florida came in. So that's it from us for this episode. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, stay tuned. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with another one. And yeah, ha- I was going to say happy voting. Then I realised probably nobody who listens to this is going to be voting. But happy election day. It's always a good one. And I, I think I honestly think it is a bit of a British thing being really interested in how America works in general. It's just a massive concept to us. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, um, happy election night. Um, if you're staying up to listen to it. Um, Hopefully you're listening to us alongside it, um, yeah. or before, or after, or whenever you're listening to us. Um, Are you going to stay um, up and watch it, Adam? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, oh, and uh, I suppose uh, it might be a pointless plug, but um, Paul Sokar running the election oh, yes. candidate panel. Um, I'm not on it, uh, don't worry. So you don't have to listen to my voice for any longer than necessary, but um, I'm sure they have a wonderful... Um, panel of pundits uh, there to talk you through the election results as they come in. Um, not only that, they have got a wonderful um, panel of academics uh, between 8 and 10. Um, so People who are sure... slightly more qualified than us. Yeah, a little bit more, <laughs> probably. Um, but yeah, make sure to listen into that um, if you haven't already listened into that. Um... Paul's like, yeah, we've got a lot of interesting stuff going on tomorrow, just to get in the spirit of it. But yeah. Thank you for listening, everyone, and see you on the next one.